You're listening to the Unveiling Mormonism podcast from PursueGod.org. Join us every Monday as we pull back the curtain on Mormon history, culture, and doctrine. Find more resources to continue the conversation at PursueGod.org forward slash Mormonism. Today, guys, this is going to be a fun one, Bo and KD, because we're, we're talking about the Gospel Topics essays on the LDS website, but there's actually one that was on there until recently, and then it got moved off of the Gospel Topics Index. You can still find it on the website, but it's interesting. We're not really sure why, right? But it's interesting that they moved it to another spot. But I think it's so interesting to cover. We're going to talk about masonry. Literally, that's just the title of the essay. It's called Masonry. We'll put a link to it below. Before we get into this, guys, we need some context because we're going to be talking about the temple. So let's let's start off with give us just a brief little overview of of the Mormon temple and what it, what it is and how it fits into your life, how it fit into your life as Mormons, and how it made you feel, and then also make sure to cover like why you can't talk too much about it. Yeah, and I probably lead out with. Look, there, there's stuff that we just can't talk about, um, about the temple, uh, just because we want to be respectful of Mormons that believe in it. Right. So, but, but yeah, let's, let's talk about the, the temple. So the, for anyone listening that maybe doesn't know what the temple is, I'm sure they've seen a temple with the angel Moroni, that golden statue on top of those buildings, right? There's, I don't know, 140 of them around the world. Um, and the temple for a Mormon is the most sacred building they could go to, right? It's a it's a house of worship where uh, they believe that they receive saving ordinances. Like th- the they do things in there that they believe get them to exaltation, right? To the highest degree of the celestial kingdom. That that is what they believe happens in the temple. So for a Mormon, it's incredible. Uh, an incredibly sacred place. And for, for Katie and myself, it was a very sacred place and a place that we, that we went to often. So, um, the temple was something that Mormons believe was restored to the prophet Joseph Smith, uh, from back in old Testament days, right? You had, uh, King Solomon and his temple, right? You had, uh, even the, the traveling tabernacle, uh, with Moses and the children of Israel, so this idea of temples comes from the Old Testament, and Joseph Smith believed that he was to restore the temple. And that's where we get masonry, which I think listeners are probably like, wait a second, <laughs> the title of this essay is called Masonry, Why Are We Talking About Mormon Temples? Um, and, and we'll get into that, but that's, that's what this essay is really about, is the history of masonry and the temple, and why there's such a link between the two. Two questions. Again, for for non-Mormons listening to this, we don't have temples. So I was always a little bit confused. Wait, do you go to a ward or do you go to a temple? We've talked about the ward in the Sunday meetings, and then but there's also this other thing called a temple. So explain the difference between those two things. Yeah, so your ward is where you go. Um, especially here in Utah, we have wards and stakes. Um, Because there's quite a few Mormons here in Utah. Um, Outside of Utah, you might find branches. They're smaller, um, you know, greater distances of people gathered together into a branch. But that's just like a ward. You do that every Sunday. That's kind of like your worship service. And where do you go? To your 
assigned ward house. Yeah, your church, right? Yeah. So w- when you're driving down the street and you see a building that looks like a church, but it doesn't have a cross, and you're like, wait, that looks like a church. That's probably a Mormon church, right? It's a dead giveaway. So that's where, yeah, that's where Mormons go on Sundays, and the temple's something different. So the temple isn't something, you wouldn't go, hey, kids, let's dress up and go to temple. That, that wasn't what the temple was for? No, you have to um, meet certain requirements to go to the temple and be certain ages in order to go in the, to the temple. Like what percentage of Mormons would go to the temple, I guess, maybe is the starting question. Is this something like 99% of Mormons go to the temple? And then how regularly do you go to the temple? That's a great question. I don't have the statistics on me, so I'm going to have to just gut check this one. I would probably say, well, we know this, right? There are, I think, uh, what is it, 35, 37% of all Mormons are actually classified as active Mormons. So they go to church, you know, almost weekly or whatever, like once a month or more. So those are active Mormons. It's about 38, 35% of the current Mormon population. So it's about four to five million active Mormon. Of those active Mormons, KD, what would you say? Would you say 20% are temple worthy, Mm. go to the temple? 30%? Um, Yeah, maybe. I mean, you have to cut out the ages between eight to 11. How early, like when did you, Bo, when did you first go to the temple? I guess is a good question. Yeah, I was, I was 12. So when you are 12 years old, uh, or I guess now it's probably 11, right? Because uh, deacons can be 11 now. So uh, anyway, so it's about 12 years old. So for for young men and young, young women, it's it's 12 years old. And you can go do baptisms for the dead um, when you're that age. You can't do anything else in the temple, which are the other ordinances. That, and we'll obviously be talking about those today because they have a tie to masonry. But um, but yeah, so, so for, for Katie and I, it was at 12 years old. And so is it, is it kind of like a ba- a little bit of a, just like, are you proud of it? Is it like, I got yeah. to go to the temple. This is pretty oh, absolutely. cool. Absolutely. It's like a badge of honor for sure. Cause you have to, one, you have to be worthy of it. So you have to have an interview with your priesthood leader, your bishop. Um, he's going to ask you a, a series of questions that you have to say yes to honestly to all of those, right? Like, are you a full tithe payer? Do you live the word of wisdom? Do you live the law of chastity? Um, do you support your church leaders? Do you believe right? In Joseph Smith, all that stuff is going to be asked to you. And if you say yes to all that, then you get what's called a temple recommend. It's a card with a barcode on it and your name. And, uh, they scan that and that's what allows you into the temple. And if you have an expired temple recommend, or if you're unworthy of that temple recommend, they'll cancel it and you won't be able to get in to the temple. What would make a person unworthy of a temple recommend? I mean, you know, we all, we're all sinners, Brian. So, so it'd be sin, uh, for a Mormon, a Mormon would say that, yeah, if if you've sinned, but it has to be, it has to be a big enough sin Mm. that makes you unworthy of, of the temple. Um, so I guess it would be like, if you've, um, broken the law of chastity to a degree in which your bishop feels you don't deserve a temple recommend at that point, mm. right? Or if you've um, not paid your tithing in a year and refused to do so, then you're not going to be able to k- 
keep your temple recommend. Or if you don't sustain current church leaders, you're not going to be able to keep your temple recommend. So, uh, or if you're drinking coffee, if you're drinking coffee, they're not going to let you in the temple or smoking cigarettes uh, or drinking alcohol. You're not going to be able to get into the temple. Okay. So let's back up to the 12 year old. So it's by my math, it seems like a 12 year old is going to have an easier time answering those questions than 18 year olds. So it is like the number of 12 year olds, is it is a higher percentage of 12 year olds that go to the temple compared to 18 year olds? Um, You, if you've seen a Mormon baptismal font in the temple, it is so busy with youth. Yeah. It's, it's packed with, with kids that are 12 to 16, 17 years old. Um, for me, the, the kicker for me was when I had a car, I could go every month. I could go every week. Right. With, uh, and we would go as youth groups, we would go a bunch to the temple and do baptisms for the dead. Um, and, and baptisms for the dead, we could do a whole podcast yeah. on that. We probably should, We should. but you feel, you feel awesome as a youth, right? Because you feel like you're offering baptism to someone that didn't have the opportunity to be baptized, especially in Mormonism, Mormons view baptism as a saving ordinance, meaning you're not getting into heaven if you don't get baptized. So, so that's kind of Mormons answer for what about people that haven't heard about the gospel? And it's like, well, they're going to hear about it after they die, and we're going to do the work for them. So we're going to get baptized for them. Anyway, so obviously you feel awesome as a, as a youth in the church. You're, you're doing good work. You feel great. It's a badge of honor. You're worthy enough to go there. So you feel awesome that you passed that interview. And then, you know, you feel like you're doing good work for your ancestors or someone else's ancestors. Am I hearing this right that that it wasn't so weird doing baptisms for the dead for you. That was kind of cool and fun and exciting. But then there's a there's a time later on in life that you go back for something else to the temple, and that's where it gets kind of to today's topic, spoiler alert. That's where it start. you get into some rituals. Again, we're not going to get into great detail here, but that's where you get into some rituals that feel different, maybe a little strange, even for you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, baptism is biblical. You you read about Jesus. Jesus was baptized, right? Um, he commanded people to go out, teach the gospel, and baptize in His name. Right? Like that is His. That's part of His great commission. So, so baptism, I, no no issue there. And obviously, I don't think any Christian listening is going to have any issue with now. Okay, they might not. They might have an issue with baptism for the dead, <laughs> but they're not going to have an issue with just the idea of baptism. So, for a youth growing up, of course, you're not going to think twice about baptisms. Um. But yeah, then when you're later on, when you're over the age of 18, you're either, if you're going, if you're going to be getting married in the temple, or if you're going to be serving a mission for the church or something like that, um, you're, you're going to be going through the temple for yourself, not for the dead this time. And you go through one time for yourself and you go through to receive your uh, endowment. So you go through what are called initiatories which is kind of like the preparatory work, and then you receive your endowment. So Mormons believe that you are endowed with power in the temple um, through these rituals that you go through. And this is at what age then? Uh, For me, it was when I was 18. Katie, for you, I don't know, 20? 20. And is this just the serious Mormons, the serious 18-year-olds, is this, a, is this almost like preparation for going on your mission? I mean, how did you view this? Active Mormons that are actively going to the temple are very, very serious about it, for sure. Um, yeah, you, you don't, uh, 
you don't typically go to the temple unless you're dead set on going on a mission or getting married in the temple or something like that. Um, and so, yeah, t- typically th- these are more like the serious Mormons for sure that are going through the temple. Okay. The, in- okay. The initiatory was 18. Was the endowment the same time? Was that 18 also? Same time. Yep. Same time. Okay. So now you are, so you do those at 18 KD, you were 20, 21. So were, were, did that start getting a little bit weird then? Yeah. I mean, um, when you are raised as a Mormon, you're taught from a very young age that you will be going to the temple. The temple is holy. It's a beautiful place. You look forward to it quite a bit. And for me at 20, I was getting married. So this getting my initiatory and my endowment was in preparation for my ceiling to bow. So I went through to get my initiatories and my endowment um, a couple of weeks before our ceiling um, in preparation for that. And my mom and my aunt took me to get all the necessary um, like clothing and different things that you need for the temple. And so it's very family oriented. So my mom was there, my aunt was there. And then when I went through for my initiatories and my endowment, um, my, my family was there, Bo was there and his family was there. So, um, there's a lot going on and there's a lot of people that you love, you know, kind of, as you go through the ceremony, they look at you and smile and nod their head and you're like, okay, thumbs up. And there's, yeah, there's a lot that you're not supposed to talk about. So I couldn't really and we had taken preparation for eternal marriage courses. You took, I think, temple preparation courses. But because you can't talk about what you actually do in the temple, um, there, there, was re- there was really no way that I or your mom could prepare you for what was going to happen in there. And obviously, we're about to read this, this article that the church has published called Masonry. And so we're going to be talking about this, at least from like a Masonry lens and why in the world... If we're talking about Mormon temples, are we talking about masonry? Um, but it's the stuff that, uh, yeah, that that makes a lot of Mormons when they go through the temple wonder what in the world is going on. I've never been taught any of this stuff in primary. I, di- I didn't learn this in mission prep. I didn't learn this when I went and did baptisms for the dead in the temple. Like, what is going on? Because this, I'm wearing things I've never worn before, and I'm promising things I've never promised before, and this is just really weird. Right. So that's, uh, yeah, that's kind of why this article, why the church attempted to write this article is because there's a lot of rumors out there. And when I was growing up, a lot of people would say, well, Joseph Smith, um, ripped off the temple ceremony from the Masons. And I was like, God, that's weird. That doesn't make any sense. Like we do baptisms of the dead. I don't think Masons baptize. Right. And then later after having gone through the temple and, done that whole thing and learning a bit more about Masons, I was like, oh my gosh, there are a lot of similarities. Uh, I wonder what the church's view is on this. And they, they just never really attempted to approach the, the topic until, you know, about what, 10, 13 years ago, something like that. They, they published this as part of the gospel topics essays. Yeah. Before I read this, so let me, let me just, again, give more context to our listeners. So you didn't really know anything about Masonry. You didn't, you didn't study Mason. Mormons aren't Masons. You didn't study Masonry. So here you, here you two are, you're good Mormons. You're doing the Mormon thing. You're, you're doing the baptisms for the dead at 12. Then you're, 
at 18, you, you start doing more stuff and that's where you start getting into the more ritualistic stuff. You guys got married in the temple. Again, we're not going to talk about all the different things involved, but, but again, more ritualistic stuff. And you're just thinking that this is all revelation from God to Joseph Smith, because again, how did Joseph Smith talk about temples? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point to clarify. So, so Joseph believed, right, that he was restoring the temple ordinances as they were in like the Solomon's day. So, the Temple of Solomon, right, uh, and in Old Testament times, um, there were plenty of rituals in the Old Testament days, and so Joseph believed he was restoring those saving ordinances that are required to get into heaven and to, to receive exaltation more specifically. So, so yeah, for a Mormon, for myself, I definitely viewed these as coming straight from God as having historical significance being biblical um, and things that were lost. So if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about Mormons believe in a great apostasy. They believe the truth completely fell away and that Joseph needed to restore the truth. This is the main thing that Joseph needed to restore was temples and temple ordinances. Okay, so that gets us to the article. Again, I, I know probably our listeners are trying to make sense of why are we talking? You'll see, it'll become clear to our listeners here as we read, because we're trying to give them the experience that you two had when you first read this article. And we're going to try to reenact, we've been speaking about reenactments, we're going to try to reenact that experience a little bit as I read through some of this article. So here's the article, it's titled Masonry from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints website. It says, Freemasonry is a fraternal organization that grew out of centuries-old European trade guilds. Freemasons or Masons meet in lodges where they ritually reenact a story based on the brief biblical account of a man named Hiram, whom Solomon commissioned to work on the temple in Jerusalem. It goes on to say, during the reenactment, Masons advance by degrees using hand grips, keywords, and special clothing. Now, I want to stop right here. Is there, are you reading this how I'm reading this? Or at this point, is this starting to set, set off alarm bells? Yeah, definitely. This is, so obviously when I read this article, right, um, th this was alarm bells for me for sure because um, all of these things, you know, uh, happen in the temple. And so it was like, wait a second, that sounds pretty familiar, right? So, so the whole thing I've, I'd heard about was that, you know, Joseph Smith ripped off the temple ceremony from the Masons, never thought that was credible. And um, now it's like, well, okay, that actually sounds familiar. So as you read further in the article, it gets, yeah, it gets pretty interesting. So for example, in this article, right, it talks about how, uh, like, there was a lot of Masonry going on in Nauvoo. Um, which is where the Mormons were in the early 1840s. This is jo obviously Joseph Smith uh, in his later years, um, the last few years of his life, actually, in the early 1840s. So it says that uh, 18 Mormon Masons organized a lodge in Nauvoo. Joseph Smith and 40 others applied for membership the following day. On March 15th, 1842, they were granted a dispensation for the organization of the Nauvoo Lodge installed its officers, and initiated Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon, who were the two church leaders at the time, to the degree of entered apprentice to the upper floor space above Joseph's red brick store. The next day, 
um, Joseph and Sidney increased to fellow craft and raised them as master masons. So they, get, they went through several rituals in the course of two days, right? And then less than a month later, released the endowment ceremony. This endowment ceremony was obviously something that was very important to Mormons, right? Joseph's been talking about the temple and how critical it was. And, uh, and so it's a month later, a month after he's initiated into uh, masonry in this grand lodge um, that the endowment ceremony is released. Um, well, fast forward two years and uh, the Masons and the Mormons aren't getting along so well. <laughs> and uh, they actually withdrew the dispensation from Nauvoo. So the Nauvoo Lodge is withdrawn from masonry at that point. And, uh, and the, Mace, the tensions between Latter-day Saints and Masons escalate very, very intensely over the coming year uh, to the point where as part of the mob, it talks about in this article, as part of the mob to kill Joseph were Masons in that mob. So, so things don't go so well between the Mormons and the Masons from them establishing this lodge in 1841 to it being removed in 1843 to then Joseph being killed in 1844. And obviously there's plenty of speculation as to why the Masons were upset. Part of that speculation is obviously because um, of the temple ceremony. If you look at this from a a believing Mormon's lens, they truly believe that Joseph is restoring the original temple ceremony, meaning, or like, what God's temple ceremony. So their belief here is that the Masons had the original temple ceremony. Like they worked on Solomon's temple, those, those Masons, and that it was passed on throughout the years. And it got, as Joseph says, uh, degenerated in his words. So essentially like the great apostasy, right? Like there was a falling away from truth. There clearly were in, uh, in their, in their minds ties to the truth so they don't necessarily view it as Joseph taking pieces of masonry and pasting it into his view of the temple. They, they view it as the opposite. They view it as Joseph restored the truth and masonry had bits and pieces from Solomon's temple, which is the story I was told when I asked questions about masonry growing up. I think the, the issue here, though, is that the masons organization wasn't created until like the 14, 1500s. So well after Solomon's temple, right? Like what it says here in the article is that by Joseph Smith's day, the boundaries between uh, Masonry's early European history and its founding myths and traditions had long since been blurred. So there was a, a quite blurred history already during Joseph's day. And the rituals of Freemasonry appear to have originated in early modern Europe which again is the 14, 1500s. So aspects of these ceremonies bear resemblance to religious rites in a lot of different cultures, ancient and modern. So, so they're basically like, look, yeah, the, we, we can't trace this back to Solomon's temple. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. I'm sure obviously they would love to in this article trace it back to Solomon's temple because that's essentially what Joseph is claiming here, saying that it traced back to Solomon's temple and was degenerated. But that's just not the case. This organization didn't exist till the 14-1500s. That's when these rituals came about. So again, the the reason I'm bringing this up is because these early apostles um, and, and Joseph talked about the similarities and they were like, 
well, this feels really closely related. We just went through these rituals a month ago in the Masonic Lodge, and then we just did this endowment, and this feels really similar. Bo, we mentioned Masonic symbols and tokens. Do, do those show up anywhere in the temple? And it, is that something that you would even have been aware of earlier? Uh, you know, you see enough random Masonic things or, you know, um, what was that movie? National Treasure or something where it had some Mason stuff in it. I remember the, you know, hearing about some of the, those symbols that Masons had. And I was like, that sounds familiar. Um, so, so yeah, there, there's definitely things from Masonry or, or Mason Masonry that you'd see in any image you Google of a Mason lodge or anything that, that, um, a Mormon, you know, has as part of their daily life where they, they probably see it as something else. So, man, I'm trying to be so careful here. So hopefully people can appreciate this. We're, we're trying to cover this essay that the church wrote, do it justice, understand, unpack Masons and also be very respectful. So doing my best here. Well, and isn't it true that it's also on the temple? I know that when I go to the temple down in Salt Lake, if I go, go through the temple tour, which I've done several times whenever guests come into town, that there are symbols like front and center on their temple that are, that are to my eye, Masonic symbols. Would, would Mormons recognize those as such? Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I actually don't, there's not a ton of Mormons that really would understand what those symbols are all about. Um, they're not really talked about a ton. And so, yeah, like you'll see the all-seeing eye, with the Masonic all-seeing eye. You'll see the mark of the square and the compass. You'll see different moons. You'll see a lot of different things in, you know, on, especially on like the Salt Lake Temple because it's so prominent, everybody sees it. But you'll see a lot of different um, Masonic imagery on uh, on the temple, especially the Salt Lake Temple. Uh, and, and a Mormon would see it and probably not know that it's Masonic, but also not know what, what it even is supposed to really be symbolizing. Um, and in large part, it's just because it, it comes from Masonry. Yeah. Bo and KD, when you're reading this article through the lens of somebody who grew up going to the temple, you did your endowment, you did, you got your, you got sealed, which is your wedding stuff. When you read this then recently, in the last couple of years, you read this article, how did, how did this article land for you guys? For me, um, this was really a punch in the face, I think, um, because I, like I had mentioned before, had been brought up really looking forward to the temple. I, I felt like I, you know, tried really hard to make it there because, you know, you have to be worthy and then obviously found an awesome guy and we, I wanted to go through the temple with him. That was, um, our goal. So I went through and did my initiatory and my endowment. And these are the things that you're told will get you to the highest degree of glory in heaven. Um, so these things are kept secret and sacred, I think is more what a Mormon would say is sacred. And then you read, I read this, you know, years and years later, it's a big pill to swallow because I realized that those things, 
that I thought were going to get me to the highest degree of glory were very similar to Masonic rituals and that Joseph Smith had become a Mason and used these same type of ritualistic things in the endowment. I think it's important to understand the history. And it's the, this is the history that was not ever talked about. It still isn't talked about enough because this is church history. And Masonry has a big time history in, in Mormonism because the pinnacle of Mormonism is going through the temple. And uh, a lot of it is Masonic rituals. Um, even, even the early brethren said the same thing that had gone through the Masonic rituals a month earlier. Then they go through this endowment that Joseph is quote unquote restoring. And it's very, very similar, very, very similar, eerily similar. And so they're like, Whoa, this is crazy. Um, that, well, it has to be that they got it from Solomon, but they didn't. So again, I, um, trying to be sensitive, we're not going to talk about stuff in, in the temple. All, all we're going to say is that, for, for KD and for myself, uh, the more we studied about Masons, about their rituals, and compared it to our experience, we realized it's fairly convenient um, for, for Joseph to have gone through Masonic rituals and a month later gets the revelation on, on the endowment ceremony um, that feels very similar, right? You're wearing similar clothing, you're doing similar things. There's signs and tokens, as it says in this article, that are the same um, as Masonic signs and tokens. And so if you go through this and you, you read this article and you read all the other articles that the church has posted on the Gospel Topics essays, and you start to build this profile of, of the prophet and the man, Joseph Smith, that he um, took people on treasure digs, with, a, with what he called was a, a, a seer stone, right? Those were fraudulent treasure digs. He had admitted to them being fraudulent. That He then used that same seer stone to translate a golden record that was never used to translate it because he just looked at the stone in the hat, If right? So again, we're building this profile. So the, this, this man also buys a, an Egyptian papyra off a guy, says it's this record of Abraham, We've now translated that papyrus later later on in the 1900s, and there's zero references to Abraham. His na name's not mentioned. Okay, so there's there's a lot. I, I guess all I'm getting at here is like there's a lot of evidence that stacks against it, and then you find out that the pinnacle in Mormonism, that the temple ceremony, is very very eerily similar to Masonry. So if if you, after understanding all that and you've studied the history of it choose to believe in Joseph, that's great. And choose to believe in Mormonism, that's great. For, for Katie and, uh, and me, we realized that what we believed in was the Bible. We believed in the Word of God. And we believed that if we relied on the Bible, we would be able to draw closer to Jesus. And, and for us, that's, that's where it's taken us. So sorry, I feel like I'm kind of on a bit of a soapbox here. I just, um, I just, I want listeners to understand kind of the full profile because I think it's easy to take these essays one by one and each issue and isolate the issue. But when you put it all together, it builds a, a, a character arc or a, a profile of a person and their behavior and uh, the way that 
revelations occurred. It's the way I think that the LDS church is trying to spin this, because it sounds to me like this was a little bit of like the cherry on top for both of you, that probably taken by itself, you might have believed this. But you might have said, okay, that's fine. But if you look at the character arc of Joseph Smith, this was maybe felt like his final con that, that, would, that would be using something so near and dear to your experience going to the temple. And so this, even though it, uh, maybe cherry on top isn't the right way to say it because it was so much more than this, it's messing with something that was sacred to both of you in, in your experience as Mormons. Yeah, I mean, this is... Um, the temple is the kind of like culminating event of your life. That's when you get married and you kind of start your happily ever after you, you know, you, you be, make covenants with God and you, you know, from there on out, you know, you're going to the highest degree of glory. As long as you keep that recommend current, a cherry on top, it would be a very sour, rotten cherry. <laughs> It's really a hard thing to hear, and it is honestly painful. It is very painful for people to hear this, I think. Um, just like you said with the character arc, because when I was going through these essays, and this was months and months ago um, when I was still Mormon, and each one I had heard about... And each one individually, I could explain away. But when you do put them all together, it just builds this, just a stack. And look, Jesus Christ came to earth. God in the flesh came, revealed himself, and that was the ultimate revelation. And he, he, he gave us the gospel. He gave us the good news. That is his ultimate revelation. He, he brought, he, he said that... Uh, he was going to send the Holy Spirit, right? The Comforter was going to come and dwell in us. We now were the temple of God. That is what Jesus taught. That's what his apostles taught. That's what the Bible teaches. And the, the difference there is so stark, right? Um, between the, uh, the building, right? The temple that, that Mormons believe in and what Christ taught and what Paul taught and what Peter taught about us and who we are as image bearers and as believers in Christ, we are the temple of God and the spirit of God lives in us. And we don't, we don't need Solomon's temple anymore. We don't need rituals. Uh, the old covenant was, it was fulfilled and the new covenant was established through his blood, right? If, if we believe in Jesus through his blood, we're made clean. That is the new covenant. That's the difference. And when we realized that, when the light bulb went on for us, everything came into, came into picture, including the, the, our conclusion about the character arc of Joseph Smith and, and about Mormonism com compared to biblical Christianity. Like the, the realization for us, that then the Spirit opened our eyes to see that you know, Jesus, he's the ultimate revelation, and he uh, came to earth to to fulfill the law and to establish a new covenant. And the, the new covenant is his atonement. Yeah, Bo, this is the part that I was al I've always, with my Mormon friends, I always try to get clarity with them on this because, you know, Mormonism is supposed to be a restoration of apostolic Christianity. But apostolic Christianity didn't use temples. 
So just that fact right there was always super confusing to me. And I guess, I don't know, what. how would you have responded to that 10 years ago as a seminary teacher? If I would have challenged you with that, what would you have said? I would have had a tough time arguing it. I probably would have said, well, you never know how many scriptures were taken out of the Bible. I'm not sure how we can trust it, because that's obviously the go-to Mormon answer there. But again, I, I think, Brian, you could easily <laughs> respond with, look, Jesus himself came to earth. I, I think he would have brought with him everything necessary for salvation when he did that. And he did. He died on the cross and he rose again. And that is absolutely everything we need. Jesus, Jesus plus nothing. Bo and Katie, I, I love that what you're saying is, is not just th- throw, this, throw this out because of masonry. It's so much bigger than that. It's that you've realized, Bo, you've summarized it so well, you've realized that the focus of Mormonism is off. Forget about the history, forget about, I mean, we could nitpick history and whatever all day long, but just the, what it's all, where it all lands and, and where, where the temples are going, and we'll talk about this more on future episodes, but where temple ceremonies and endowments and all this stuff is going is so is so man-centric. It was so focused on you and your work and your ritual, which runs so counter to the message of the Bible. Mormonism isn't the only religion that does that, that turns it towards man because we're human. We love to feel like we're in control. We want to be in control of our destiny, of our um, exaltation or salvation. And I think that that is why Christianity and the Bible really teach something that is, it's sort of hard. It's a hard thing sometimes to realize that we are human and that we are not perfect and that there's no way we can be and that we're sinners. But it also gives us such hope in Jesus Christ. My entire upbringing, the temple, I was told the temple is the house of God. It, It is the place for Mormons where they receive exaltation. Like salvation comes from uh, the temple for Mormons, right? Exaltation does. Um, and salvation for the dead for, for Mormons comes from the temple. So that building is incredibly important to a Mormon. And so I'm, I'm doing my best to be super sensitive to it. And obviously I've got 35 years of um, it being the pinnacle for me. Uh, in the back of my mind, right? That, uh, that, uh, that I'm wrestling with here, trying to be sensitive to those who are Mormon, but also to, to speak the truth about what is taught in the Bible um, and what Jesus taught. So as a Christian, Bo, what, what would you say now is the pinnacle for you? Jesus. His death, burial, and resurrection. It, it's... Um, it's the good news. The good news is that we believe in Jesus Christ and that we can become a new creation. That the Spirit can literally live inside of us. We can, we can become children of God and we can receive salvation because of Jesus Christ. That, that's, that's the pinnacle. Do you miss the temple? 18, 20 years of going to the temple, do you miss it? No. Because I have something better. I have salvation through Jesus Christ and the surety that that brings. 
Jesus wants relationship with us, whether we are worthy for a card or not. He loves us so much. Jesus himself said, I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Like that, that's the message of the gospel. Um, we're all sinners. And those that think they're righteous, right? Um, passing an interview with the priesthood leader, that's awesome. But like Jesus called everybody to him. And when you put your faith and trust in him, the Bible says that you're saved in that moment and that you become a new creation in Christ. Hey listeners, Pastor Brian here. If you're enjoying our podcast, would you consider becoming a donor? Our goal is that these podcasts would reach the largest audience possible. So obviously it takes money to create good podcasts, but more than that, we wanna make sure to market this to the whole nation and even to the world. That's where your donation comes in. So would you consider becoming a monthly donor? And to do it, just visit PursueGod.org forward slash donate.